0: Hi, V Sales has just challenged me to start this podcast because last one I was uh, I was just giving you a terrible amount of cheek about your your radio voice <laughs> when you start this podca- podcast. You always say hello. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> yeah, about, Annabelle Crab. Uh And the awkward thing is, um, you've got not nothing to talk about. about uh, yeah, awesome. Uh, well, allow but, uh, me to jump in. <laughs> No, you I know that you saw Train Spotting 2. I did. I saw it at home when we were sitting around and Jeremy said, Um, let's watch Train Spotting 2 And I said, Oh, I don't think so. And Have then you we seen had a train conversation. Spotting? Yeah. I've never seen it. Yeah, no, I like train spotting. But um it's just my thing with movies at the moment. I'm in a real movie slump. Uh, no. I don't want to watch a movie. Uh, Interesting, I'm I a bit of a movie slump too, and a book slump. Yep.
1: Anyway, carry on. i
0: I'm literally slumping.
1: come back to to slumps in Um, a minute.
0: I'm much more, currently, I'm much more interested in uh, continuing a a television series that I'm watching. Because, do you know why? I don't have two hours to waste on something that could turn out to be shite. I almost certainly won't see it in the cinema because all I see in the cinema is children's movies, which I often enjoy. But I just think... If I'm gonna watch a drama, I'm wanting I'm gonna want it to be such a good drama that it's probably unlikely that it will ever happen because so many films that I see just turn out to be a bit disappointing. I sometimes start here. Yeah. I sometimes will start watching a film on a plane and I'm you know, the plane lands and it's two thirds of the way through and I think No, I don't care to resume watching that, which is depressing because I think the younger me would never have been like that.
1: I used to love going to films. I mean, look, I think part of it for me is I don't get that many nights out and so if I do, I'd rather catch up with friends and talk and have dinner than go to a film. Um, And as with you, I've just had a few too many – and actually I feel this way a bit about theatre at the moment too. I've just had a few too many disappointing experiences in a row that have Mm. put me off and so, um, yeah, that's a problem with films. And also because I'm so tired, you know – 22 minutes or 47 minutes is about right for me. Yeah. Um, and so also yeah. If,
0: you're, if you've if you established a relationship with a series that you're watching, you absolutely know that this will be a good hour or 45 mm. minutes and it won't be a waste of your time. Completely. And then you won't fall asleep in front of it um, mm. and then you can switch it off and go to bed and you'll think, right, there we go. Completely
1: me. agree. TV, it's the new films. People yeah. said that when The Sopranos started. They yeah. said this is going to be the – this is the new f- – Film,
0: yeah. TV, you know. Well, um. I don't know. I think it's coming to pass. Spotting mm. 2 was shite, by the way. Was it? Yep. Did it have any of the original people in it? Yeah, all of them. Oh. It just was... Okay. Uh, oh, there's well. a point when Ewan McGregor kind of leans over the table and delivers an updated version of the whole choose life, choose whatever. Oh, yeah. And I'm just looking at it and thinking, please stop. This mm. is so awkward. It's like just... You know. Well, speaking of awkward, so I've been watching uh, Designated Survivor,
1: which is a show yep. starring Kiefer Sutherland. It's mm-hmm. on Netflix. Uh, it's sort of, if you liked Scandal or The Good Wife or that level of TV, it's a bit is like, like 24. Exactly. Right. So it's basically, uh, it's a State of the Union. Kiefer Sutherland has been set aside because there's someone who's part of the cabinet, doesn't go to the State of the Union. They are the designated survivor if something's to go right. catastrophically wrong. Terrorists blow up the entire capital, the right. whole cabinet. The president's killed. Keith the Sutherland's thrown in to become the president and then the FBI's got to track down the terrorists who blow up the capital, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, the thing that made me think of it then was when you're talking about the bad writing in Spotting. <laughs> there was a scene. Yeah. I mean, it is full of bad writing, this show, but I love it. It's just – it's like a packet of Burgerings. It's just – there's no nutrition in it, but it's just bloody good while it's going mm. on. It's um, another sponsor.
0: <laughs> Chat brought to you by Birkerings. Um You don't know what's in them and probably best that you keep it that way.
1: <laughs> um, Kiefer Sutherland's at this cabinet meeting where they're discussing the new Supreme Court that they have to appoint and everyone starts squabbling among themselves yeah. and he's like, everyone, listen, listen, stop speaking. And the, no, everyone's ignoring him. And then he smashes his hands on the desk and goes, be quiet. And then everyone's like, oh. And he goes, sorry about losing my temper there, but I lost my temper. That's what he actually says. Well,
0: that's the that's the line that's been written for him Sorry to say. Sorry about
1: losing my temper there, but I lost
0: my temper. Not trying very oh, hard. Just, oh, I can't even believe that Keith is just too re- old to re- put re- up with that it. kind of crap, right? I just think, no, look, I, it, it's bad, but I do. I just love. You're stuff. a total trash pig, though. Oh, like, uh, I mean,
1: stuff set White House, Washington, FBI, secret. You know covert units that nobody's ever heard of, yeah. deep within the CIA. I just, I love all of that <laughs> stuff. I just lick it up. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm really liking it. Um, it's, it's, tra- it's trash. It's trash, but I'm figure. loving it. Yeah, trash, but I'm loving it. Right. Okay. Um, Can we go back to slumps? Uh, so you're in a movie, yep. movie slump. Yeah, sure. When was the last
0: movie you saw that you liked? Wiener.
1: Oh yeah, I Wiener. Loved Wiener. That was awesome.
0: But I, you know, I like, I like a doco. Yeah, I like a this doco is, too. This is mainly my kind of. Um, I like that doco on the go betweens that I saw. So, oh yeah, you said that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, liked, I sort of rate docos differently from um, from feature films. I liked the Star Wars reboot, whatever yeah, that was called. I like that too. Yeah, actually. I left and yeah. I thought,
1: yeah, that was twenty bucks well spent. Yeah. I got twenty bucks worth of entertainment. Absolutely, hundred yeah.
0: percent. I'm I also a- like Moana.
1: <laughs> Did you? I've never seen Moana. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. i will get the boys on
0: Twitter. I mean, there's just some, you know, there's some terrible kids films around. And oh, Certainly yes. terrible Shuckers. bloody Disney princess And some, films. Great, and some great ones Oh, too. incidentally, quick tip, just while we're talking about Disney princesses, um, because I was just thinking the other day – um, how great this book is that my daughter spotted at school, um, and I've now bought a copy. It's called "Good Night Stories for a Rebel Girl." Oh yeah, um, I can't remember the name of the person who wrote it, but it's like a hundred and one stories um, about famous women, or not so famous women. Mm-hmm. So like you've got your average, you know, you've got your sort of Marie Curies, you've got your Helen Keller's or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's just like also these like they're kind of like two page little stories of their lives mm-hmm. with beautiful little illustrations, sort of portrait things. Mm-hmm. And But there's also like, you know, this incredible, you know, deaf American dirt bike rider or, you know, like, so th- these quite amazing women from history and contemporary, the contemporary world. It's and by Elena Favilli and Francesca Cavallo. And it's just like, you could read out one a night and they're just very inspirational, really well-written, mm. cool, not sort of... Luxury. What age just, group do you reckon for? Well, my daughter's ten, and she was just all over it. But I did a tweet about it a little while ago, and like all these people came back and said, "Oh, that's amazing! I'm reading it out loud to my six-year-old." Or oh, I'm, great. you know. So it's quite, you know, um, yeah. It's it's really really good because sometimes in that age group, you are kind of like sort of scrumping around for things that are good, mm. and it's just. Awesome. It's a little mm. bit of an in-between age group, isn't it, for reading? Because you're not bit, yeah. quite
1: ready to go to the sort of, you know, adult or even the young adult fiction. Yeah. But That's why certainly... Flora's
0: fancy, I think, is so it's, immortal. Just I just such mean, a because <laughs> There's just such a market
1: there for that. (laughs) Um, Speaking of slumps, I am in a reading slump at the moment. I'm not reading a single
0: book, not a single thing. You've said this to me about 13 times and I keep ignoring you because it's (laughs) clearly a cry for help and I'm just not even – right, it's fine. It's
1: fine. So this happens to me periodically and I think – I suspect it happens to other people too, which is you have plenty of stuff sitting around that you could read Mm. and you know that you'll like it when you read it. Yeah. But – you just sort of can't, like it just feels like, oh, I just can't be bothered to read that. I just can't mm. be bothered to pick up something new and get into it. And so then, you know, you might even pick up something that you know that you would really like and you read one chapter and you just go, yeah, just not interested. And so you just get into a slump. And so I this has happened to me before. Things I've done in the past to get out of it are go back and read an old favourite that yeah. you just know that you like. Yeah. And then yeah. it's sort of, it's like you're sort of, I don't know, you I find if I'd stop reading, then it's like the reading muscle gets a bit lax Like right, you need a bit of
0: a push, like you've fallen off your bike or something. Yeah. Mm.
1: And the other thing that I've found, last time I was in a reading slump was after the birth of one of my kids and just nothing, even old favourites I couldn't get into. All I could read were celebrity memoirs. Ellen DeGeneres' memoir. Rob Lowe's memoir. Wow. Like just real <clears throat> sort of low rent. The woman who was on Glee, Jane Lynch's memoir. You read her memoir? <laughs> God, now I'm worried. <laughs> That was a few years ago when I was cutting out those butterflies. Yeah. Um, yeah. God. So, yeah, and it, it's weird because it was like it's about the only thing that I felt like I could read. But it was fine because then it just sort of, I don't know, then you sort of somehow just get back in and then you, you – Get back on the horse or something But yeah, I'm in a bit of a one And the, the stack of stuff on my bedside table It's, you know, that shattered book about yeah. Hillary Clinton I know I'd love it Tony Jones has written a novel um, that I'm really Yeah, to I've got that Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it He's very well read himself And I, I <clears throat> suspect it'll be really good um, I'm slightly nervous about are there going to be sex scenes in there? You don't oh, want to yeah. read sex scenes that your colleagues are. Well,
0: I actually um, launched Chris Yuleman and oh, yeah. Steve Lewis's <laughs> book in Canberra, and I just made basically just read out the sex scenes because <laughs> they wrote there are two in their first book, and they each wrote a sex scene. <laughs> and I'm like, one of you gentlemen uses the word panties when writing a, a sex scene, not cool. And I'm looking at them both. And, Who blushed? And we're like, Lewis has got this giant smile on his face, <laughs> and Newman's like, but, but, but. And I'm like, ha ha. <laughs> I think we've just solved that little issue. I'm
1: worried, Tony, that so we like, you know, she ran her fingers through his silvery hair. You're so handsome, she said. <laughs> I'll take that as a comment, he replied. <laughs>
0: Oh, my God, the Q&A sex scene.
1: No, I think I've, I've had a quick – I haven't started reading it. I've just had a quick sort of skim of the front page – first page yeah, and read cool. the back. Yeah. It looks really
0: engaging and interesting. Well, maybe so you just great. need a like a bodice-ripping thriller. Like, I mean, when you get out of the book slump – Yeah, I don't want
1: to waste my – I don't want to waste reading Tony's book when I'm in a book slump. Yeah, right, fair so, enough. So,
0: yeah. So, but do you find that maybe a genre change is useful? Like, I mean, I quite like – when I'm in a book slump, I like to just – I read. I like to go back to collections of essays and things like that, where I can kind of jump around a little bit. One of the mm. things, God, one of, weirdly enough, one of the books that, or two books actually that I I love to read bits and pieces of, um, for kind of no discernible reason, is this guy Jeffrey Steingarten, who um, was the um, food reviewer. Um, food writer for i think american vogue Mm -hmm. um he published two collections of his um sort of essays long articles and one of them is called the man who ate everything Mm -hmm. and the other collection is called it must have been something i ate this guy is just like he's a food obsessive and he he just picks one one subject to talk about or to write about and he just throws himself straight into it so like one in in one of these essays he decides that he's going to um make the perfect chip, like French fire, oh, yeah, in his Manhattan apartment. A worthy goal. And he uh, like he's he, he tours around eating at all these great restaurants and he discovers that like the the favorite chip that he's ever eaten is in this particular restaurant in Paris. And he discovers that they cook the um the chips in horse fat. Mm. So the next like five pages of this account is concerned with his dealings with us customs in his attempt to import like nine kilos of horse fat into the united states like he's completely obsessive his essay on pizza is all about how he can get his domestic oven to get up to the temperatures required to really really blast a pizza and he almost burns his flat down like but the writing is so funny it's just like a, such a pleasure to read i quite often give this book as a present though never to you because i know you'll throw it away um, <laughs> i didn't realize an oven had to be extraordinarily high temperatures for a pizza well ideally you know like those wood oven pizzas yeah. the pizza's only in there for 30 seconds oh right it's so hot, so hot right. and so that's how you get this sort of Bubbly blackened crust, right, and a topping that's just done, and the bottom is crisp. I you know? see. Okay. Yeah, like, yeah. A high heat is really. Quite hey, massive. now you
1: raising this reminds me of something that I have mm. yet to tell you, which is, um, you mentioned ages ago on the podcast a show that you had binge watched on Netflix called
0: Chef's Table. Yeah, have you finally watched some? I finally, have watched oh, some. Oh, my heart leaps with joy. And, wh- I- and how good is it? Oh. <laughs>
1: It was – I mean, look, I'm not going to lie. When you you raised Americans, it, you
0: know. When you first raised
1: it, I thought, oh, uh, sounds like it could be a bit of a food wank, yeah. was my thought. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what made, sort of tipped me over the edge into watching it. The
0: title is a bit A Chef's Table. Yeah, exactly. It's know. a little off-putting. Yeah.
1: Anyway, the first episode, which is – what's the guy's name? Massimo. Massimo
0: Bottura. Oh, God. Just absolutely – So he was the world number one chef last year and he's got this – little Italian restaurant that is berserk. In Mm. Modena in Italy. Um, And the food looks
1: delicious. But, I mean, the thing that's fantastic about how they've done it is every episode is – it's pretty much a biographical um, look at the chef and what motivates them in their cooking, how they came to cooking. Or in the case of um, Massimo, his relationship with his wife, Mm. um, which is very key to his life and his business success uh, success and so forth – it, the story of the restaurant is almost told through their meeting and yeah. their relationship. And so it's very compelling because you get hooked right in. Um, and then the food, then they explain, it's you know, they're – beautifully shot. I mean, it's oh, just – it's like a feast for the eyes. Absolutely stellar. And the interviews, you know, as someone who does a lot of interviewing, the level of – Trust that the subjects have in whoever's asking the questions. You never see or hear the questions. Yeah. Um,
0: so it's a bit like Australian Story in that kind yeah. of format. Yeah,
1: no, no, no narration except for the chef's own um, narration.
0: Um, the vulnerability
1: that people show and the stuff that they tell, like. Yeah. The second episode, which is a guy who owns a um, restaurant in New York, I think is it called Blue Farm or something like that? Oh, yes. Oh, God, that one's an amazing one. Oh, yeah. So this guy, he's he's the sort of first and the best of the farm to table yeah. proponents. And, I mean, it, I did want to eat at the restaurant, but I, it, you can't help when you watch these things. Like there's a dish where he just serves, it looks like raw vegetables. yeah, um, And you just think, well, how delicious can it be? Like it's still a carrot. And yet the people that have given it, the Michelin stars are going, you eat it and you just go. Greatest carrot ever. It serves a potato. you like, you just want to weep. It's just so delicious. Um, But the guy, he was quite an extreme guy. And one of the first grabs he says is um, that being a chef is a form of abuse and the sort of people who are
0: drawn to it are people who like self-abuse. It was quite full on as he's running. And And it's cut with all of these running. And he's this sort of wiry, sinewy kind of. And you can tell that he's just getting out this, sort of aggression, like oh. he's quite aggressive to like and he talks about how he has blow-ups in the restaurant. And,
1: and it, it comes out that um, his mother died when he was four. Mm. And I mean, every episode I've watched has made me emotional. Um, he said this thing that was just so moving where he talks about um, – you know because he's this restaurant is very very successful and he has one in upstate new york somewhere that's also very um successful and he's talking about you know losing his mother when he was so young and he says you know the thing with a restaurant is you just you never know who's going to come through the door on any given night and i just wonder sometimes am i doing this and am i making the best restaurant possible because somewhere in my subconscious i think my mother might walk in Q sales <laughs> yeah so it was just
0: ah, oh my god as, and they're all they've all got stuff like that in them as an interviewer you would know how sorry cheesiest opening to a sentence ever as an interviewer lee <laughs> i prefer as one of australia's <laughs> finest interviewers lee. as one of the most beautiful women on television <laughs> lee. you would understand um but like to get someone in a place where they will talk to you about that stuff is so hard and and look it's a it's a really incredible combination of features and one of them is I think that the that the the series is of such relentlessly high quality they only talk to really interesting people who are also amazing cooks so the Mm. visuals are just they shoot food like it's it's so beautiful and also they really the program really respects the person that they're profiling. Yeah. Like even the unflattering things that come out are contextualized in a way that takes you inside what it's like to be this person. Yeah, yeah. definitely. That like woman, so Remember when I um I interviewed some of these chefs, including Massimo Bottura actually, mm. um for the um fifty best restaurants um uh, awards that were in Australia this year. Um the the woman that I uh, that was on that panel it was a woman called Dominique Crenn she's a French chef and her um, restaurant is called Atelier Crenn she has an incredible life story she was um, adopted with her little brother um, when she was a kid and um, brought up by this lovely couple in in France but anyway I digress she was the one who um, uh, that guy that said. guy stood up and said oh you know what made you um, you know embrace this job and not um do the other job that women are so great at which is being a mother and because in this chef's table episode and she's the most extraordinary woman she's just piercingly beautiful and really commanding and in this um episode it's all about her and her work and there's no kind of you don't get a sense of her family and She just crushed this questioner at this event by saying, look, actually, you know, I have four-year-old twins. Um, It was just so full on. But... um I don't know where have I'm you, going with this Have you eaten it,
1: the Australian one in season one, which is the only one I've looked mm. at, Um, the, there is an Australian restaurant profiled, which is Attica Yeah, in I, I have not been there and I so, yeah. Yeah, I've not been there either. Sure Look, I restaurant. loved that um, episode and he just seemed like a beautiful guy and I loved his thinking about food and his family, just his parents and he's, he had this, he was brought up in New Zealand, just in what looked like the most extraordinarily idyllic restaurant. Um, upbringing and it was fascinating because they talked about when he took over where Attica was I mean just no one was going he was on the bones absolute bones of his ass um and then he just sort of had this idea about how he wanted to make food and, and whatnot but it was interesting because his food when it was they had the pictures of it it didn't look very delicious to me, right? And some of that high end dining, I, I feel like it's got to still. It sometimes they look a bit science experimenty. Yeah. I'm not going to lie, I googled uh, Google Image searched Attica, and there was a dish on there that I thought looked like something I'd sweep off my front
0: porch. What you found that on Image Search? Google Image Search, yeah, just because people po- eat oh, at Attica and they oh, post sorry. food I thought, pictures, do you know. <laughs> I'm such an idiot But I, hold me I thought you were like You looked it up On Google Satellite You know Google, <laughs> Google and Earth And zoomed in really close I thought close. you did it on Google Earth And you're like Hang on a second What's that person eating? Zoomed you're in like really tight I was like, like What's that Move your hand mate I want to see what that Pile of rubbish you're eating is <laughs> oh no that doesn't look nice at all but he had, hang on but, is that the cat but no. this guy
1: this guy Benshuri had so much, integ- so much integrity so much integrity was clearly so talented that I think well it must be delicious because he wouldn't be serving it up if it wasn't delicious yeah, you were
0: thinking frankly mate your food looks like shit and you you're well I just disgrace. I just
1: was looking at it thinking it doesn't look <laughs> no I really like him but I just thought that does not make me want to eat it whereas um the Italian guy yeah no 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 yeah. everything on the table. <laughs> What's it sound again? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but anyway, it's a wonderful... I do want to eat at Attica, though, having seen wow, it.
0: you are never eating at my house again. Well, I can probably like, never show my face at my Attica food? now, either. I know, you'll never get a booking. <laughs> it's quite hard to get in there. Now, your
1: food always looks delicious. I always want to eat your food. It always looks beautiful. <laughs> yeah, take that, Ben Even when you use all those weird kohlrabi and crap like that. <laughs>
0: um Now, one quick segue that I want to just insert here, just because I'm reminded of it because... One of the things that I love about that um, series is the w- the way they shoot the food. I mean, it's just – they. you know how, like, in, in films or whatever, sometimes the food is a just a bit of a, like, oh, yeah, and then they ate something. Yep. I like it where they really respect it. Um, and one of the things that I – one of the things that I love about The Trip, which is one of our favourite series yes, and correct, movies. Love And um, the Steve Coogan – what's his face? What's the other guy's name? Rob Brydon. Rob Brydon. Is that – they also shoot the food beautifully and it's it's yeah. a really big part the of, whole thing of is the appeal people. of that film i 100 agree with that i yeah. absolutely love the trip god it's so funny
1: and the trip to italy that oh, the trip it's it is so hilarious i've re-watched bits of it recently but um the trip to italy those jammy bastards
0: like yeah, I know. oh this you've got no shame when we started when we both started watching the trip i just got like absolutely shellacked for weeks with emails from sales just going we could do something like that. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we do something like yeah. that? Who can we find that would Definitely. like def- that would make that you know? Could we make that our job? Yeah. Like, oh Anyone God. listening who wants to make that? Yeah. Ring us. Yeah. Straight away. At tomorrow. home, she was actually making. He's you know, number. A, an artwork of, of <laughs> finches carved out of Taubman's paint samples, so you get a, a broad idea of what was going on with you at the time. <laughs> Can you tell but yeah, us? Yeah, what a jammy gig. Can you tell us a bit, speaking of jammy gigs, mm. about your own television show that's about to come out? <laughs> Man, it's so non jammy. It's just like, no, actually, um, we have been making it for ages. That's why I'm a tiny bit jaded and a tiny bit crying under the table. But, <laughs> oh, my God, I shouldn't have. I want you to promo it. Yeah, I, like, I, do just, it. I just don't even know whether it's worth finishing. No. <laughs> so, here's the thing. So, um Look, seriously, several years ago now, um, my little team from Kitchen Cabinet and I started negotiations with Parliament House about, do you, would you mind if we brought a dirty big film crew in there and, and made a documentary about like behind the scenes in Parliament House? And look, Parliament's quite a conservative place. It's an incredible building. But you're only allowed to take cameras into about 10% of it and you're only allowed to go as a member of the public into a, like a restricted mm. range of areas in the building. And there's so many things about the building that are like, it is almost entirely self-sufficient. It's like a it's like a mini city. They've got like carpenters, they've got a stonemason, they've got um, mechanics, they've got cooks, they've got laundries, they've got like, Even, like, the the, the underground of Parliament House, the basement, which is like a little metropolis down there, it's got 1,100 rooms underground, most of which no one who works above ground ever sees, but it's like the ticking – it's like the beating heart of the building. Now they've Um, got a full-time person checking politicians' citizenships. I know, exactly. Oh, God. Sorry, carry on. Um, So it's quite an amazing building, even apart from the stuff that we know about, you know, and question time and all the stuff that you see all the time. Um, So uh, our request was, could you please uh, temporarily (laughs) waive all of your rules against photography in these restricted areas and let us tootle about and, you know, talk to people. And after an extremely long and highly bureaucratic process, the answer was eventually yes. And mm. so that's what we've been doing for like – we've probably been filming for about 10 months, um, which has involved lots of back and forth. And How um, many episodes is it? It's six episodes. So it's going to air on August the 8th. Six um, half hours or hours? Six half hours, hour. yeah. And it's called The House. Um, so – and it is um, – I think as someone who's worked inside Parliament House, it, it's like being in an artwork. You know, the design of the building is extraordinary. And the people in there – I, you know, there's there's freaks, there's just genuinely the most lovely people and none of that sort of ever really comes out in what you see on television from Parliament. Like it's very one-dimensional. So I really wanted to sort of have a crack at showing people what goes on in there because I just think, well, everybody pays for it, you know. Yeah, totally. Um, and I also think, I don't know, maybe um, it might just give a bit of context to some of the stuff that you, you see. Also, it's just hilarious. I mean, there's, just, <laughs> there's some very funny people and... Um, who, who work in there? So that's that's what we've been doing. But it's it's such an interesting discipline to make a documentary like that. I mean, we probably have 500 hours of of sort of rushes, <laughs> and that all has to be sort of stitched into um, to the um, you know three hours total screen time, <clears throat> and and weaving, finding a way to get you as a viewer into all of these funny places, like the art vault, which is just we found these kind of old. Um, sort of hidden portraits of um uh, former prime ministers and governors general that were never released because the their subjects didn't like them um or you know all of these sort of st- strange spaces underground we went into we went into cabinet room and the prime minister's office and all of that so we're just trying to sort of take people and show them around for a bit of a sticky beat behind the scenes. And now you're at the pointy end of it. <laughs> you're just spending hours every day locked in an edit suite. Well, the worst thing is that there's so much gold, you know. And uh, you know me, I always love a bit of funny as well. Mm. So I love a bit of kook. Um, mm. So, uh, and, you know, you just have to make sacrifices when you've got that yeah. much material. And I just find that really, really Are you going to do
1: like a little extras thing? Yeah, like, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, can I just before I got to run back downstairs to seven thirty um, share? Brenda um, sent me this Twitter account that I absolutely love called at We Players. Oh God! Here we go. <laughs> Every sentence starts with We Players. <laughs>
0: That's so funny. Is it directed we... at you? No, it's it's just a general thing. Because you know, the tuber community has got a lot to defend think they're itself get from. Yeah. We
1: tuber players enjoy family vacation. If we don't take our tubers, is the whole family really there? We tuba players enjoy mocking the trumpets. We tuba players are very loving creatures. We're always around to give advice on who to hate or love in the band. We also give good hugs. <laughs> it's just full of this nonsense. It's very you have actually very jumped
0: the rails amazing. now on this tuba thing. <laughs> People send me so a tuba much tuba stuff. Or anything, there you? is so
1: much tuba stuff on the. Um, it's funny, isn't it? No? That of the too. two of
0: us, you are the one that has these sort of irrational hatreds and weird things. Like you love wading into this, like. The attack on the wren, for instance. I mean, totally unprovoked. And then they become – I'm just worried that the in-jokes
1: in this podcast are becoming so dense that anyone who came to listen as a new listener, you'd be like, what's with the tubers talk? What's with the bird talk? What's with the clanging? What's with – you know, there's a lot of in-jokes now.
0: When we went to Michaelia Cash's house to film Kitchen Cabinet, (laughs) her house is so full of cat paraphernalia because she's really interested in cats. And she's got three cats. Wow. And when we were interviewing her, she must have said about 30 times, Well, I don't have children, so I've got cats. And we probably included maybe two or three of the iterations of her saying that in the actual show that went to air. I'm like, All this, like, you know, why do you have her talking about like children and cats the whole time? You just, you, it's like you're, you're trying to make her look crazy. And I'm like, No, she said it a million more times. I really, I really cut down. What does she do with the cats when she has to go to Canberra? Well, her husband is there. Oh, I didn't realise she was married. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, right. (laughs) Just like, thought lady with three cats, probably alone. (laughs) Was that it? You are so catist.
1: I love cats. My mother used to breed cats.
0: I'm very much a cat person rather than a dog person. Really? Persian cats. Did you ever get obsessed with that story about the... um... Cat lady murder, yep. You're damn right I did, the one I, in Brisbane. I, I bought the book about the cat lady I thought murder. about writing a book about that. Well, you still can because the book that I re- read was terrible. Yeah. I think the guy – It was one of those like great stories, totally like it was written so – Yeah. Bad. It was like you're murdering a good story as well as quite a talented cat. It, look, it, it
1: actually would have lent itself absolutely brilliantly to a documentary
0: if you could if you could have got all the
1: people to talk. And, in fact, I've still thought that you could do a great podcast, documentary inside podcast, the world of competitive um, yeah, podcasts. You'd want some visuals, wouldn't you? Probably because you want to see what the cats look like. But mm. inside the world of – there's a lot of pursuits like, you know, Susan Orlean wrote The Orchid Thief about competitive yeah. orchid peeps. The cat people, I think, would be a new
0: level. What uh, – the problem with the cat documentary – is that, like, where? how would you come up with a meme that would work on the internet? Oh! (laughs) Grumpy cat. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes you're so strange. I'm sorry. God. (laughs) But, um... Now that I've listened to Trace, and I know that I'm always about a year behind these things, but now I just keep looking around, going, "Would that make a good crime podcast? Would that make a good crime
1: podcast?" It's like when we went to that Isabella Blow exhibition, and this for the next three days, every like hat—that's a hat, that's a hat. hat. Look, everything looked like a hat. (laughs) Right, I'm calling an end to this. That could be a hat.